0: Listening to the Queen City Church sermon of the week. Enjoy this exciting message by Stephen Roach. I always love coming back to Queen City because I have so much history in Charlotte, and so many of you guys are friends of mine that I've known for years. And so uh, this is just like homecoming to, to family time, right? So thanks so much for having me. Um, For you guys that don't know me, I live up in Greensboro, about an hour and a half from here, and um, my appropriate job description is a troublemaker and a fire starter. Um, That's my profession. But uh, this morning, I'm excited about what I have to share, and uh, so can I just pray for a minute? And uh, yeah, Lord, we just thank you for this gathering in this community, and I just... uh, Pray that the words that I speak today would be words of life, and I pray that you sift these words, and whatever is gold, let it shine, and whatever is dirt, let it fall away. And uh, so we just ask you, where else shall we go? You're the one that has the words of life. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to talk this morning about what I'm calling the gift of perspective, and any of you guys that know me, you know that if you cut me, I bleed a sermon on creativity. Um, creativity is my life message. It's what I live and breathe. It's something that I felt like the Father gave me years ago and said, this creativity will be your, your life message. And um, and a lot of that for me is, I don't think that creativity is ornamental. I think it's a fundamental part of what it means to be a human being. And that doesn't mean that we're all supposed to be artists by trade, but it does mean that we've all been created in the image of a creator. And the first five words of the Bible are, in the beginning, God created. And uh, so, before we know of the law, before we hear the angels singing, holy, 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 scripture introduces us to a creator who is enraptured in his creative process. And then 26 verses into the Bible, we learn that humanity has been made in his image, right? So that's not the sermon I'm speaking today, but I just wanted to give you a quick foundation of why... Uh, creativity is important to all of us, and I think it's an important part of how heaven comes to earth and how the gospel is communicated um, to our families and our cities. But the gift of perspective that I'm talking about today, perspective is uh, such an essential part of the creative process. And I think that the gift that the artist gives us is a perspective that we haven't. Considered. And for me, the artist is uh, someone who lives on the edge of society in a sense that is always peering over into the unknown with one foot off of the edge, just either flying or falling at any moment. You know? But the gift of perspective is this ability to take us to a place where we see what's coming, but we've not yet entered into it. And through the creative process, make a way for us to expand and to go forward into new territory. Does that make sense? The artist is the one who reveals the supernatural hiding in the midst of the mundane. Um, It's the Moses who, you know, the the miracle of the burning bush was not that there was a bush on fire in the middle of the desert. Moses saw bushes catch fire every day of his life, I'm sure. Sure. The miracle was that he had attuned the sensitivities of his heart to recognize the voice of God in the midst of the mundane, in the midst of something that he experienced every day. There was a sensitivity that when he walked past this bush, something caught his attention and he turned around, He turned aside, and I love the quote um, that says, you know, the... Every bush is on fire, but only those who turn aside and will take off their shoes. Everybody else just picks blackberries, you know, from the bush. And so um, I want to be one that turns aside and takes off my shoes and finds that, that gift of a heavenly perspective in everything that happens. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's ugly, whether it's mundane Monday morning, or whether it's a highlight experience that we're having together, I think that... Uh, We can learn to live in such a way that our eyes are baptized, that we baptize our eyes to see from a heavenly perspective, right? And that's a gift. We can't always get there on our own. Um, Ephesians 2.10 is one of my favorite scriptures, and it says that we have been seated in the heavenly places alongside of Jesus, right? So if that's true, that's past tense. We have been seated there. So then the challenge for us is to align ourselves with that perspective. I want to share um, a scripture, a story in the Bible. And I love this one. This is in Mark 8. And I think Chris has the, the scripture verses on this back there. But one thing that I think We can get caught up, and especially, and I'm not picking on the community of faith, um, but I have seen this within the church that a lot of times we get wigged out by other perspectives. We're not comfortable with people who perceive Jesus or perceive life different than our community or different than the way we worship or different than the way we understand scripture, right? That's kind of been a thing. And, like, you know, so you've got like hundreds and hundreds of denominations that have. These um, preferences of how we encounter God and how we interpret life, right? And those don't always. It, there's always friction. Sometimes, you know, it's like, well, I, I believe this way, but I don't believe that way. But what if they're all validated? What if? What if there's a perspective? I mean, if I mean, those creatures in Revelation that had eyes all around their bodies, right? That means that they are seeing from all kinds of different perspectives. You know, you're seeing from here, you're seeing from here, you're seeing all these different perspectives. And so for me, as an, as an artist and as a creative thinker, I want to see from as many perspectives as I can. I, I, want, to, I want to explore why somebody thinks this way. Uh, at the Breath and the Clay I intentionally invite speakers that I know that I fundamentally disagree with. <laughs> and, and we do these uh, 12 to 20-minute, essentially, our version of TED Talks. We call them perspectives. And I remember one year, we had a lady, uh, she, and she got up on the stage. And another friend of mine, I think he went first, and he gets up there and he says, If you are using your art... For evangelism, you have cheapened the work of the art and you have turned it into propaganda. Two speakers later, lady gets up on the stage and she says, if you are not using your gift of creativity for evangelism, you have forfeited the reason God has given you this art. (laughs) Loved it. I didn't clean it up. (laughs) I didn't get up there and tell them which way was right. I let it happen and I let people chew on that in the secret place with the father on their own and come to the the understanding of where they are. If there's one thing that I believe in, one thing that I've seen to be true is that you and I are all in process. And Jesus often said, don't judge a thing before the time. And so often we're uncomfortable in that in-between space of the, the already and the not yet, of the promise and the fulfillment. We, we want to bring finality on things. And sometimes that can cause us to bring premature judgments. And it can make us miss other perspectives that has meant to widen our understanding of what God really wants to show us. I often say, don't put a period where God put a comma. You know what I'm saying? And so I think that coming to a place of, um, see some of my atheist friends have made me a better Christian than a lot of the three point sermons that I've sat under in my life. You know, because I want to be challenged. I I want my faith to be built on that bedrock and sometimes encountering these different perspectives and also knowing that sometimes my perspective and your perspective is going to change over the years. And not feel, feeling a sense of guilt or like you're not as passionate about Jesus today because you don't worship him the way you did 10 years ago. I just don't think that's true. I mean, maybe it can be, sure. But I think that by and large, we're on a journey with him. It's a walk. It's a process. And I think that um, enjoying and celebrating those other perspectives will help us grab a, grab a wider view. Um, okay, to the story, Mark eight twenty two. and then he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. And so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, such a strange performance artist is this Jesus? He asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, "I see men like trees walking." I love that." And then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. All right. So I, I've got a couple of images I want to show you, um, and if Chris, if you have those or um, all right, take a look at this image first. This is an artistic depiction of the story that I just read to you. I know you can't see this one very clearly, but this is an artist's depiction of that scripture. Go to the next one. <laughs> Hello, Ints. <laughs> this is an artist's depiction of the same story. Next one, please. This one is another artist's depiction of the same story. And then we got one more. Same story, same scripture. All right, cool. You can turn those off. Now, is one right or wrong? Does one appeal to you more than another? Does one challenge you more than another? You know, We can all look at the same thing and get a billion different understandings from it when we're walking with Jesus. You know, he's the God of 10,000 tongues. That's why I love in Acts chapter 2 verse 6, it said that they all heard the gospel spoken in their own language. It's like he knows how to speak your language. And, um, do you guys know who Gary Thomas is? He's a, he's a writer and a speaker. He wrote a book called Sacred Pathways. And, um, if you follow the Makers of Mystics podcast, keep up because I'm interviewing him, um, in a couple of weeks and I'm going to have him on, I'm having on the show. But he did, um, this book called Sacred Pathways where he talks about the different spiritual temperaments. Um, that we can encounter God through. One is the naturalist. This would be your John Muir who goes off onto the mountains and like just wants to encounter God in nature, you know. And then there's the sensates who encounter God through the senses. It's like a sensory experience they want to have with God. Then they have the traditionalists who these encounter God through liturgy and ritual and symbol and communion. And, and then there's the aesthetics. Uh, who go off into the desert and uh, like solitude and don't want to be around anybody. They just want to pray. (laughs) And then there's the activist. And this would be like Dorothy Day, who was the Catholic social worker, you know, in the 1960s. And then you have caregivers. They encounter God through serving other people and through taking care of people's needs. Enthusiasts, I love that. Uh, Do you know that enthusiasm... Originally, the the root of that word, enthusiasm, means to be filled with the Spirit of God, if you're enthusiastic. And then there's contemplatives, who encounter God through uh, adoration and devotion and reading the Scriptures. And then the intellectuals, who encounter God through uh, understanding and coming to understand God through study, you know? And uh, I just think it's so beautiful to see how many different ways we can encounter him. And, uh, you know, I, I used to think that if I didn't have the Holy Ghost tickle on the back of my neck and that the, my hair wasn't standing up and goosebumps had goosebumps, that it wasn't worship. You know what I mean? That was the background that I came from. I, 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 my only understanding of encountering God was an emotional response. And I love emotional responses, and I love encountering God on the emotional level. But if Romans 12 is accurate when it says that we present our entire beings as a living sacrifice, and this is our act of worship, when you read that in the Amplified, it says our will, our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our intellect, our whole being becomes an act of worship to God, right? But I think that cultivating, and by the way, if any of you have had, um, a, a, a pro, your progress of encountering God has changed over the years, and you felt any kind of like, um, have I fallen away from God because I encounter him differently? Hopefully that encourages you that, that we're on a journey and that the way that we encounter him and the way that he encounters us often changes. Um. But I say that heaven's perspective is a gift because we can't often, I can't always get to that perspective without his help. And um, I want to share a personal story with you on this that's uh, a bit of a vulnerable story. I don't often talk about my own life. Uh, you can read the book one day when I decide to fully tell my whole story, but um I grew up in a forgotten-nowhere tobacco town um, on the Virginia-North Carolina border. And uh, my dad was a third-generation fiddle player and a bluegrass musician. My mom was one of uh, 15 children. They were all sharecroppers. Every one of them uh, picked cotton and picked bluegrass, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and my dad was also uh, a hoarder. <laughs> Like, he never threw anything away in 40-some years of living at the same house. And so we had, uh, you know, he passed away in 2017, and so we had to go back to the old house. And there is 47 years of accumulation <laughs> To deal with, and I'm, and, and that could be emotionally, psychologically taxing to deal with all that. You know what I mean? I'm going through this stuff and I'm trying to find meaning and understanding. And, and it's like, you know, for the artist, it's the creative process is bringing order out of chaos, it's bringing meaning out of things. And I'm like, this is bigger than me. I don't know that I can, I can do this. (laughs) So we found. Like five busted up violins. Um, Chris, do you have that picture of the violin I sent you? Yeah, this was one of my dad's violins right here. We found like five busted up violins. And uh, they're just all in shambles. And I, I took one to um, a violin repair guy. And he said, yeah, this one um, would have been worth about $4,000 if he had a kept it up right. I said, well, how much is it going to cost to restore it? And he said, well, about (laughs) $4,000. So I put that one back in the box and I got out this violin and said, can you restore this? So I had this dream one night, okay? And in this dream, you guys are going to love this story. In this dream, I'm in England and I'm hovering outside of this stone house And I hear two voices speaking inside of the house. And it's kind of like Charles Dickens and the Ghosts of Christmas, you know, when he's leading Ebenezer Scrooge to see all this stuff. And I come to the window, and uh, on one side of it, I see one of my friends. He lives in Colorado. He's a producer and an incredible musician, Dave Wilton, uh, a boy in his kite, loud harp, you might know him. He's sitting there, and this violin is in between him and on the other side of him in the window seat is my son, Brighton. And Dave in the dream is saying to Brighton, yeah, this is what we're going to have to do to restore the violin. We're going to have to put a new bridge on it. We're going to have to take the, and get new, uh, in pens in it. We're going to have to, and he's telling him, and I know that this is my son's inheritance. And I know it's my dad's violin, okay? You can take the picture off now if you want. And I'm sitting here listening to this, and they're restoring my dad's mess and giving it as an inheritance, okay? I wrote the dream down. I woke up. I was very emotional about it, told my wife. Uh, Time goes on. Uh, That morning, we go to a a baseball game of my son's, and my father-in-law, who has no idea about the dream, he comes up to me that day, and he says, Stephen, I need to talk to you for a second. And he puts his hand on me, and he says, um, I feel like God has told me to pay to restore your dad's violin. The same morning, I woke up from this dream. And I start, I, I'm just like, did, did you talk to Sarah? Did, what are you?" I'm freaking out. I'm like, you know? And so, uh, anyway... Time goes on, I find this violin maker, and we give him the violin, and and then I go about my business. Um, I had a trip planned to Colorado to go work on a record with my friend Dave. This is a year after I dreamed this. So I go to Colorado And I'm working on this album with my friend Dave. And I'm not even putting these things together. But when I get back from my trip to Colorado, I'm scheduled to go to England. And so I go to England. And while I'm taking these trips, the violin maker is restoring my dad's violin. I get to England. And I get a free day off in the city of Brighton. (laughs) And then the dream comes back to me. And I'm like... I just left Colorado with my friend who was in the dream and now I'm in the city of Brighton and I'm walking down the street and I was like, oh, this is, this has got like, this is the good stuff here. I'm... So, um, I said, all right, Lord, I think you're going to speak to me in the city today. And, um, actually would, would somebody hand me my backpack there? Yeah. Cause I forgot. I actually brought this with me. Thank you. So I'm walking down the street in Brighton expecting uh, some kind of God encounter. (laughs) And I pass a toy museum. And I just felt that little tickle that says, you need to go inside of the toy museum. And I was like, yeah, that's cool, but there's a coffee shop right over here. (laughs) So priorities, I went to the coffee shop. Um, I came outside holding a lovely pour over coffee with notes of anyways um and i'm standing on the street wondering where i'm gonna go and i look up and i see the toy museum there and it it hits me again you need to go into the toy museum and so i walk up the street and by the way my daughter's name is bell my son's name is brighton and i walk into the toy museum and it's like i just went back in time i'm in like you know, I, I don't know, 1930s, it was surreal, all these creepy old toys, I loved it, you know, and broken stuff and, and restored things all over, and I walk in, and I'm just, people are behind the counter, and I walk up, and I was like, hey, I just was interested in the place, and I look on the wall in the back behind them, and there's a little pamphlet that says, help us bring back the Brighton Bell." And it's a train. And I'm like, are you kidding me? The whole thing, we need your help to finish the job. The whole thing is about bringing restoration to something that has been broken and set aside. I grab this thing. I call my wife. I walk down the street, and there's a fiddle player on the side of the street. And I just, I, I'm just sitting here looking at this fiddle player um playing this norwegian fiddle and i just had this experience i call my wife and she had just moved a painting of a train from our bedroom to the living room in our house while i'm getting this thing with the train here she moves the painting of this train and she was like yeah i felt like god was speaking to me through this train that that he's moving mass amounts of us from where we were to where we're going And I shared the whole story with her. And when I got home from England, I got the phone call the day that I got home that said, Stephen, your dad's violin has been restored. You can come pick it up. Is this amazing or what? I didn't make this up. I didn't even ask for it. (laughs) You know, but the reason I'm telling you this and what this has to do with perspective is that when I went to my dad's house, with 47 years of accumulated stuff, it looked like nothing but brokenness, nothing but abandonment and neglect. It looked like aborted dreams, broken dreams, and I'm sifting through these things. And in the midst of the rubble, the Lord begins to say, I want you to see from heaven's perspective. Hope has the final word. Redemption has the final word. And so, this violin became an emblem, became a symbol of his, um, of his redemption. Now, um, I brought a couple of other pictures because I started thinking, um, and this is, a, all, right now, all roads lead back to this, this podcast that I've been investing in. Um, but I interviewed a man uh, named Lonnie Holly. And Lonnie Holly was an African-American found object artist uh, who l- grew up in Birmingham, lived through the civil rights. I mean, intense story. And I end up connecting with this guy, uh, interview him. We developed a friendship. And um, he, his whole art is that he takes stuff that people throw away and he makes art out of it. And... Um, Chris, do you have those pictures of the cross? Yeah. This is some of his artwork. This is on display actually in Winston-Salem right now at Sika Art Museum. Basically, that is an old fire hose wrapped around a fan with two pieces of wood that came off the side of a house. And he took these broken throwaway things and he made art, and I think it's, Really significant that he made a cross out of it. Do you have that next image? He made another cross. This one is uh, two pieces of burned, charred wood that he made a cross with an electricity box. And then a doorknob on the cross that came from some other place. Isn't that pretty phenomenal? Just what the art form itself speaks like... If you saw those things laying down, you could have one perspective and you could say, this is trash that needs to be thrown away, or this is art waiting to happen. And I believe that our invitation is for us to begin to see from that heavenly perspective that we can make art out of the broken things, out of the, out of the unrealized dreams, out of the broken pathways that the word of hope for Queen City, that I would that I want to give, is that all of all of those difficult places, all of the things that that don't make sense, all of the chaos, all of the amassed stuff of the years of our lives. He wants to begin to bring restoration to those places. He wants to make art out of the things that don't look like art. And this was a real fun part of the story. I was up at my dad's house, still cleaning, still cleaning, and. Um, I felt again that little whisper that just said, why don't you reach out to Lonnie and see if they want any of your dad's stuff? And, uh, and so I did, and they live in Atlanta, but he just said, you know what? We're in Chapel Hill this week. I was like, are you... See? So they were at the Museum of Art uh, doing an installation there, and they drove to my dad's house and took a truckload of stuff... Old busted up radios, old like sewing machines, old like you name it—stuff that we were just going to put in a landfill somewhere. And you would have thought I gave him like a block of gold, <laughs> and he said, "I'm going to commission a work out of your dad's uh, your dad's stuff," and he's making art out of this. Um, one other quick story. I'm on time. One other quick story that that i 've been following a lot lately is the story of uh what happened to Notre Dame recently, and for me, that was heartbreaking i don 't know if that hit any of you guys the way it did me i was just I was just there a couple of years ago, and um, you know when I saw that it just it just hit me in a in a really really deep place but then what What struck me about it was when I started hearing all the differing perspectives on Notre Dame coming in. I mean, there were these people that were just grieved and torn apart and like billionaires coming out of the woodwork saying, we're going to donate money and we're going to, you know, restore this thing. And then other people came along and they're like, "Well, wait a minute, where were you at like when the Syrian refugees had nowhere to go? Why are you going to give all this money to restore a building? Why don't you care for humanity this way? You know? And I was like, wow. But I started thinking about these different perspectives. and uh, And I kind of understood the thought behind both. But... See, there's a there's an innate longing for restoration and for justice and for th- wrong things made right in our heart. And um, it made me think of a story in the Bible, in John 12, where a certain woman wanted to pour out a year's worth of wages in this beautiful act on Jesus. And the people standing around said, there... You're wasting this money. It could have been used to feed the poor, right? And it's important to take care of the poor, but I don't think in the economy of God, we have to choose between beauty and taking care of humanity. We don't have to choose between those things. In God's economy, there is a lavish amount of room for both. And You know, often when we have tragedies and things that happen in the world, sometimes the first thing that I think is like, well, where, what is the role of beauty and art in the midst of tragedy? What is the role of beauty and art? It seems so frivolous on the surface. Until you start understanding that we, have, the human heart has a need for beauty the same way that we have a need for food. And that's why in Genesis 2.9 in the garden, it said that the trees were made for beauty and for food. The same tree that gave physical nourishment also gave spiritual nourishment. And that we have a need for beauty. Dorothy Day, I mentioned her earlier. She worked with the poor. You know what she did? She put artwork all over the walls of the places where she brought them in because she said, I don't want to just feed their bodies. I want to feed their spirit as well. That's the perspective. There's, I, I'm reminded of the, the cellist uh, several years ago when the bombing took place in Iraq. You know, you can go and see it. He went and set up his cello right in the midst of the rubble and started playing classical music in a war zone. That is what we get to do um, as followers of Jesus is that we get to set up right in the midst of where everybody's perspective is. This is destruction. This is chaos. This is trash to be thrown away. And in the middle of that, we set up and become the architects of hope. we That's the creativity of God working through each of us, right? One last thing, and I'll close. Um I've, Robin mentioned it earlier, but I wrote this uh, book called Five Creativity Killers and How to Avoid Them. And I could also see, uh, say that these are, these are the things that will kill divine perspective, that will kill the perspective of God. And I go through, the first one is fear. And I go through four different, um, four different fears, uh, fear of failure, fear of the unknown, um, fear of success, I forgot the fourth one. Fear of rejection. That's why you write the book. That's right. The second chapter is comparison. That's a nasty devil. That comparison thing is like no good. Uh, Third one is perfectionism. Um, The fourth one is distractions. And then the fifth one, my wife made me rewrite about 10 times before she would allow me to publish it. But the fifth creativity killer is religion. And um, I tell the story in that chapter um, about the Italian painter uh, Apollo Veronese. That's the southern way of pronouncing that name. Veronese. There you go. Yeah. He was brought before the Inquisition with a charge of blasphemy. You know why? Because he was commissioned by the Catholic Church to paint the Last Supper, to paint a mural of the Last Supper for one of the churches there. And so he goes off, I love this story, what a rebel, I love this guy. He goes off and he decides to paint the Last Supper. I wish I'd have given you that picture to show, but I didn't didn't have that one. He paints the Last Supper taking place in the Roman Parthenon um, with... Men uh, in flamboyant costumes drinking goblets of wine with midgets doing circus things. There's a dog sitting right in front of the Lord's table. And all of this crazy stuff, and then right in the middle of it is Jesus and the disciples around the table. And the the Catholic uh, Inquisition saw this, and they were like, You blasphemer! You have just, you know... What have you done to the table of the Lord? And they brought him before the Inquisition and they were going to burn this guy at the stake. And they tried to say, you need to replace the dog with Mary Magdalene. There was no dog at the Last Supper, you know? And the artist refused to replace the dog with Mary Magdalene. And, and he, and so it became this tension between artistic license and preservation of sound doctrine, right? But here's what I want to submit to you guys. Because when I say that, you probably say, wow, that does sound kind of blasphemous or that does sound a little edgier. That's kind of weird, right? But think about it from this perspective. Is that not exactly what Jesus has done for us? Is that in the midst of the insanity, in the midst of drunken people stumbling to and fro, in the midst of governmental structures, in the midst of all of the chaos that is humanity, there's the table of the Lord set up and offering it to every single person. Perspective. Getting heaven's perspective. Not judging a thing before its time. So, amen. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I have one thing I want to tell you about before I leave, and that is you can find these little cards out on the table, too. And um, we have, and I say we, it's the breath and the clay. Um, we have an artist retreat coming up. June 21st through the 23rd for visual artists of any discipline. If you're interested in coming and spending a weekend eating farm-to-table meals and hanging out with other artists, we're going to be in Moravian Falls, and we still have a couple of spots left if you want to do that. And then in the fall, we're doing a writer's retreat. This will be our second writer's retreat. Some of you guys here, I think, came to the last one. Um, And then also, I just want to encourage you, if, if you don't listen to the Makers and Mystics podcast... Please subscribe to it. You can listen on Spotify, iTunes, or any place where you can hear um, podcasts. The whole thing is about the relationship between art and faith, and why creativity uh, matters, and why creativity um, is one of the way forward, one of the ways to go forward for us as a community of faith. So, thank you guys so much, and uh, thank you, Robin, for letting me come and, and share. I hope that was encouraging. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.